0: Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Are you ready to play the game? Yeah! The game. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Survive. Welcome back to Rebel Radio. My guest today, Newmark from the legendary Jurassic 5, thanks. among other things. We're thanks gonna for having me, Josh. Day. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, it's been a long time. And in fact, I was thinking about, I actually don't remember how we met, but I do remember. Uh, so in the 90s, when I was a journalist, I wrote uh, an article for the very last edition of an magazine no one will remember called bikini i like the title and yeah uh the world's greatest men's magazine so they say (laughs) except they went out out of business after this and uh it was my first piece for bikini but it was an interview with jurassic five in which they had a a a, uh, segment that they had musicians test driving cars Oh, I so remember we went, this. This was dope. Yeah, so we went and test drove a Lexus yeah. uh, LX470.
2: Yeah, I remember. It was dope. It was like off-roading. Yeah. Damn, you tripped me out with this one, man.
1: Right? And here's... Uh, we'll we'll put up a picture, but here's Newmark looking very young. Actually looking just like you are today, so you, you're you aging really well. It's good you don't have the picture
2: of when I used to have my beard up to my like lower <laughs> eyelash,
1: and nobody in my group told me
2: I looked like a fool. But uh, yeah, I look close to the same
1: no that was dope though because i mean you know as a journalist like you sit down you do an hour interview but this was like a full day yeah we got to really get into it and have some fun with the car i think uh Think yeah. Somebody was like whiling out with the car trying to jump over stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I forgot who might have been we, soup. It might have been soup. He was somebody was having fun though. I, I remember this was I had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember this specifically. Yeah, yeah. Was, that was, was fun a great time.
1: So I but I felt like we knew each other before that. But yeah. What so what were you doing before Jurassic?
2: Um, well, I started out doing a lot of um house parties actually. Okay. I was a mobile DJ and I used to carry a bunch of equipment in the back of my ride and I have to fix my ride every few weeks and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. And jungle Juice we, spilling all onto the mixer and turntables and, you know, wild house parties. And then, um, yeah, that's
1: uh, back when you had to carry your records. Yeah,
2: yeah. Seven crates of records. I remember that was the magic number. Seven was the magic number. And uh, then I slowly kind of got into like DJing a few uh, clubs here in Hollywood and L.A. area. And mm-hmm. then I met the group shortly after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was always making beats during that time. I was always a producer. Actually, started producing before I was a DJ. So, so was there
1: a day when you woke up and you're like, this is my career now?
2: Yeah, there was actually a very defining moment. Um, what happened? Uh, I, I knew I always wanted to be a musician. I was, started playing drums seriously around 12, 12 years old, but I wanted to play at 7 and kind of toiled around with it at 7. But nice. 12 years old is when I like entered the jazz, uh, band in junior high and all that stuff mm-hmm. and, and started playing and um, got into drum battles. I used to battle the drummers at that time. And then uh, as time progressed, you know, and I started getting into high school and getting ready for college, my mom was adamant about me having a backup plan and so I was studying to be an x-ray tech. Oh, wow. Yeah, radio, radiologic technology. Um, and I had a defining moment. An exciting and, field. Yeah, very exciting, yeah. Um, but I had a moment in class where I just, you know, had this epiphany where I was just like, you know, I can't really afford to daydream like you could at an insurance job about music. Like I, you know, if you're behind a, you know, if you're in a cubicle, it's one thing be like, damn, right. dude, really cool to make this one song when I get home or whatever. But at, when you're in a hospital, you're taking care of people. So I walked sure. out of class and, um, I, shortly after J5 went gold and mm-hmm. then, I haven't stopped touring since, really. Oh, so this
1: was, you were in J5. Yeah, we were, that was I boring. was
2: actually go, showing up to the recording sessions with a lab coat and a tie no during that time because I was doing, um, um, you know, hospital work at the time because yeah. I was in, like, lab practice at that time, you know, lab, lab work. Yeah. So I just had that moment where I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, it's, I got to go two feet in, you know, Everyone says, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You get a lot of weird advice growing up, especially yeah. from, from relatives. And none of that advice really worked for me, <laughs> but you know, I'm, and I'm not saying this works for everybody. What happened to me, but it was just my path.
1: You know, was there any advice that, did you get any good advice? My dad actually always
2: gave me good advice. My dad was always the one like, you know, what are you doing? Why are you in an x-ray program? Are you tripping. Like he, he, my dad was like, always like, what, what, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Well, you you, don't, you have no interest in science. What are you doing? You know, like, um, but like, you know, I was closer to my mom, you know, so I just, you know, you know how it goes, you mm-hmm. know, and, and you had a young impressionable age and you don't, you're trying to find the right route and you see other guys caking off, making money and DJing everywhere or, you know, making beats for all these groups. And you're like, man, I don't know if I can get to that level. You have a lot of doubts when you're mm-hmm. in your 20s, early, early sure. 20s, especially. So um, I had those doubts just like everybody else. But, at you know, at the core of it, I, I knew that I love music and, and that's what it was going to
1: be. Mm hmm. And at that time, I mean that was a, such a special time for hip hop. Yeah. And and yeah. J5, I thought, played such a interesting role in that era as far as uh, you know, hip-hop was really coming into its own yeah. and growing as a as a culture and as a musical style. And then J5 was kind of a bridge to the world before that.
0: your body control, your body, and soul, the bell Explode,
2: big and blow, yeah, boys yeah. Up. Well, it's the angelic man, relic, plan, repellent. My plan, parent, manuscripts stand bullets, flashing like a Japan tourist. We command pure hits. Why you crapping to understand these countrymen? Yeah, we had a, we had a really interesting group. I mean, what I loved about that era the most was the um, the, the feeling that there was good, healthy competition.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And like even within groups, like if you like study Wu-Tang, like you could feel like they were competing with each other, not like on some animosity, but just like on some just like, this is just, I'm just trying to outshine. Yeah, You know what I mean? And there was a lot of that going on in the whole landscape of hip hop at that time. You know, De La Soul sounded nothing like Public Enemy. Public Enemy sounded nothing like Juice Crew. Mm-hmm. Juice Crew sounded nothing like Jungle Brothers. Jungle Brothers sounded nothing like N.W.A. I mean, it was just healthy, you know, just like everybody had their own style. And to bite would to be, you know, you'd be ousted mm-hmm. if you're biting someone's style, you know. Yeah. You know, that's um, today it's a little bit different. You know, it's almost like if you fit in a box, you're more accepted. So, right. uh, but I loved that era and I loved um, what we contributed or try to contribute during that time, um, and I just had a
1: good time. I loved it. So what about, I mean, you guys also stood out being a, a group with two DJs, mm. which is pretty rare. So were you in Cut Chemist competitive? Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure.
2: Because it was like, okay, so like at that time, you gotta realize like the West Coast cats who were like digging for records were trying to catch up to Pete Rock, yeah. Q-Tip, sure. <laughs> Diamond D, DITC, Digging in the Crate Screw, everybody who had already been really digging deep mm-hmm. and was finding, unearthing all kinds of beautiful things off of records from the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, jazz was in its own world. Funk was in its own world. We hadn't even gotten to African, Ethiopian yet, and mm-hmm. all the beautiful things that exist there. Yeah. Uh, so Cut and I were trying to catch up. And just trying to find the illest breaks possible, Mm -hmm. you know, going hard on 45s when really nobody on the West Coast was really going into 45s except for the the cats that played Latin oldies Mm because they knew what was up. You know, Mm -hmm. the OGs from the east side here in L.A. Mm -hmm. But in the hip hop circle, nobody was really digging in 45s. Nobody was really digging uh, in that way. So we were just trying to catch up and we were catching up rapidly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, yeah. So like in that when you're at a fair you're trying to like look what i found like oh you got that damn i've been looking for that and I, there's like several times where i'd be like looking for a specific record and there'd be a guy that grabs it right in front right, of me i'm like yeah oh that's crazy but um yeah but that's what makes it fun you know it was just it was a good time you know and um digging is just a fun art unto itself
1: yeah so talk about that how you know i think we've talked a lot about as a Culture, how much music has changed mm-hmm. since the internet, since technology, all this. Um, what about crate How's that? Uh, how's that different today?
2: I, th- I, I don't know. People get mad at me, but I, I kind of think it's almost, um, it's close to non-existent today. Just, yeah. just because I'll say it's, yeah, because. Well, there's a few things. Okay, so like when you listen to the the joints that are really making it right now, this pretty much just, you know, 808, mm-hmm. you know, in and, and key sounds, you know. So it's a little bit more synthesized out these days. Mm-hmm. And um, the laws, or the lack of laws, I should say, of sampling have really hurt the true school golden era, whatever the hell you want to call that era of digging. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of been pushed to the back or maybe it's on a little hiatus or whatever. Um, I kind of feel like there's going to be a a fusion between like what everyone says they miss so much about the 90s hip hop with this trapped out sound. I kind of feel like that's going to somehow collide.
1: You see, you see anybody doing that or like showing signs of that yet? Me.
2: (laughs) But I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be interesting because um, people are really scared of of sampling, you Mm -hmm. know, like if you look at like Dayla's Kickstarter right now, they're like, you know, we've sampled all our lives and, you know, we've, you know, we've. Got in trouble for it in the past, and they're yeah. trying to steer away from it on their new Kickstarter, and congratulations to them, by the way. They've done an amazing mm-hmm. job, and I've supported, and I've told my friends to support. Um, but yeah, it's just a slippery slope, you know? Like, it's just, it's, it's really sad that no attorney wants to step in and say, hey, you know, one bar sampling equals this much right. on the master side, yeah. this much on the publishing side. Two bars equals, it should really be gridded out, mm-hmm. personally, that's what I think, but I don't think any attorneys want to touch it, because there's no money in it for them, so... Mm-hmm um yeah now if you look at
1: what's happening with uh blurred lines yeah it doesn't even have to be a sample
2: yeah it's just getting out of control you know um but you know um all that said there's some really interesting programming happening you know and i started seeing when the dubstep thing really blew up like Mm -hmm. it's like the 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 progression of um the sequences was really cool man like there's a lot of really cool programming going on right now you know you see it in skrillex and you see it in all these cats you know on the electronic side that's probably why the hip-hop you know uh producers have fused with electronics so much is because there's a lot of really interesting programming mm-hmm. um and a new avenue so it's cool it's a good thing
1: so it's interesting to hear you talk about that because i think you know there is this fusion happening there's also been historically kind of a division between Mm hip-hop and electronic music. Yeah, I was just thinking about that the other day. Yeah.
2: Like, I remember, like, back in the the late 90s, it was, like, you know, Herb Magazine, you know, they'd have their, Mm -hmm. you know, their dance section, electronic section, and they had their hip-hop section. It was very separate. Even when you go to a rave, they'd have the hip-hop room, and then you'd have, you know, if they had a hip-hop room. Yeah. And then you had, like, this massive floor with electronic, but now it's, like, electronic music is really engulfed most of the buyers, or most mm-hmm. of the listeners, I should say. Mm-hmm. It's fun. People want to have a good time, you know. Um, but um, all that's changing. It's always changing. But hip hop is always finding its way to, to resurface and, and stir up a lot of noise. And it's, it's raw, you know, people, you know, who have like a really good ear and like texturized mm-hmm. music, they, they gravitate towards the hip hop. So that's what's up. You know? Yeah.
1: So let's talk a little bit about what you're working on now.
2: Um, yeah, oh, I just finished, well, yeah, I just finished the album with, uh, Slim Kid Trey from Farside, and, um, uh, we had features on it, uh, Diamond D's on the album, J-Live, uh, Durando, rest in peace, um, Del from Hieroglyphics, and MERS, mm-hmm. um, so that's out, and it did really well for us, and we're actually creating another album, um, I'm getting ready to start a show kind of similar to this, uh, called The Hot Plate nice where i interview other artists um, from an artist's point of view uh, because i have a lot of weird technical questions that i want to ask them but i want to do it over um, their favorite uh, restaurant over their favorite dinner and so it's kind of like we talk mostly about food but then Mm -hmm. we talk a little bit about my nerdy questions about music and things that they've done and weird coincidences so i'll be launching the hot plate very shortly. Nice. I'm getting my interviews intact, so I'll be calling you, Josh. I need some people. Yeah, yeah for <laughs> sure. Anytime. Um, and then, aside from that, doing a lot of touring with J5, um, I'll be, we'll be playing in uh, July here at the Nokia okay. in, uh, in Los Angeles for the LA Heads, and um, doing a, a short little West Coast run up and down the coast in, um, in July, and then we're off to Europe in August. Nice.
1: And, uh, so, is that a is that a reunion? Did J5 break up? You know,
2: well, yeah, we, we definitely broke up for seven years, solid, and then um, we got an offer to play Coachella, and mm-hmm. we figured, you know, hey, if there's a place to do it, Coachella's the place to do it, and the offer was really good. and So how
1: was that coming back together?
2: That was the craziest show of my life, yeah, like, by a long shot. Um, I don't know if you've seen the, the new show, but I, I came up with this idea to... Um, well, when I DJ by myself, I do like kids' toys. Yep. Like, I do, I set up the whole stage with kids' toys and I rig them up into my DJ mixer and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I used to pull part of that set into J5's DJ solo section of their show. When we reunited, I was talking with Cut and I was like, you know, instead of doing some small toys, let's try to do something big, you know? So I invented like this big five foot by five foot turntable that was operational and like could scratch and cut and everything. So, wow. That one broke my back because it like was like three months like of working with the set designer, the guy that mm-hmm. was actually doing the physics and you know the geometry behind the whole thing, and uh, that's crazy. We finally got to work like a four or five days before the Coachella show, mm-hmm. and this is after months of working on it. And then um, we have you know Cut has like this portable turntable that he's cutting mm-hmm. over, around his you know neck, and I have like a drum machine that I'm playing with him and like record necklaces and all this stuff. Uh, necklaces trigger 808 sounds and stuff. So anyway, I'm, I'm going too long here. But anyway, the, like five minutes before we're being pushed out on stage at Coachella, um, our engineer drops, cuts turntable on the ground, and the needle shatter, shatters into all these little pieces. It's not like a record, like r- regular, like DJ needle. It's like a, you know, yeah. a custom needle. Uh-huh. So as that happens, Sir Paul McCartney just walks up. And we're like, I'm like, what the hell is going on, man? Like, this is like, this is crazy. So I'm like, do I help cut out with his needle problem or do I take a picture with Paul? And I'm like, (laughs) let me get this picture with Paul. And so I get the picture with Paul. As I finish with that, Z Trip walks up and he sees Cut just flipping out, which Cut never flips out because he's always like cool as a cucumber. And then like, I give Z my dj needle from my turntables and, and he just pulls just the needle out which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy in itself because they're just like so flimsy and he super glues it and then scotch tapes it into cuts portable turntable and is blowing on the super glue as they're pull, wow. pulling his uh pushing his riser out on stage and cuts on the riser yeah like so everyone's freaking out so we're like we haven't played in seven years together and we have to come out you know smashing you know how yeah. it is man it's just like yeah well we were freaked out and then yeah. uh the show went over great and everything worked yeah coachella was crazy and we haven't an, to answer your question i don't know if it's a reunion tour at this point i think it's just like we're celebrating the box set that we have out now we did a um a really nice box set for anybody who uh is interested in the quality control album mm-hmm. uh, it's all the behind scenes uh footage inside there and uh, it's really cool it's a good box set um wood grain logo on the front and, and um yeah uh instrumentals and uh vocals nice
1: yeah man so i've w- i've been watching the toy set online oh, cool it's unbelievable if you haven't seen it it's it's unlike anything i've ever seen thank you uh how'd that how'd that happen
2: um well i had these two toys well this one toy called music blocks that um i was introduced to that i was like blown away by because it sounded like a sp 1200 and i was like what's up with this? And then I ended up buying six of them because I wanted to see if I can make something out of it. Mm-hmm. And they have all these interesting cartridges like a jazz cartridge and a Brazilian mm-hmm. cartridge and like, oh, all kind of African. And I was like, what's going on? So then, once J5 did break up in 2006, mm-hmm. I was like, didn't know what to do at all. Like, I didn't know what I was going to do in my career. If I was just going to be just a producer, if I was going to stop altogether and just regroup or whatever. Um, so I just thought to myself, well, what would happen if I just filled the whole stage up with kids toys like how, like could i get something that actually sounded decent Mm -hmm. um and so my mind just kept kind of turning you know and i came up with it um yeah and it did well for me and i'm um i'll be doing a red bull three style championships in uh japan this year oh nice um i think that's in oh god i think i want to say september i might be off but um so I'll be doing a new toy set. I, mm-hmm. I revamped the whole thing, with the exception of Maurice the monkey. He's the only one that stayed. Sure. So, um, yeah. And yeah.
1: the and the, the rubber band.
2: The rubber band. I took that out of the routine because I think it had its proper shine in the vi- in the video uh-huh. that you saw.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: but um, yeah, the rubber band is a, is an interesting one because like I used to do it with a really <laughs> thick rubber band. I attach the rubber band to a needle and play it like an upright bass. But mm-hmm. on the new one, I just pulled a really small thin rubber band and it actually cuts through better it sounds like more like a guitar or something mm. so yeah just having fun you know yeah i, I mean, know i can't cut like you know like hubert like i know he mastered like this Sure. You know, there's like certain djs that have like mastered yeah that's kind of also my mindset like i was like well i'm not going to be like the master of the cut like i cut you know i can do doubles and flash and all that stuff but like I'm not going to be a master of it, nor do I really want to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to just do... I just want to look at the turntable in a different light. So I shot a, the new toy set I'm talking about with uh, Serato, by the way. Oh, cool. So that'll be coming out pretty soon. Yeah, huh.
1: No, but that, but that, I think, is like... That's what's so interesting about DJing, music-making in general, but DJing in specific, is that, you know, you're always building on, on the last guy. Yeah. Right? And, you know, you obviously have this quest to to innovate
2: yeah i mean yeah that's i mean if if there'd be one word i'd like to be associated with when i'm done with this is being innovative you know um yeah man it's it's funny though because i like stumbled on the whole thought like you know i'll never be a master of any of this though because like you're always learning you know Mm -hmm. someone says oh he's a master guitar player or pianist or whatever you're just like I just think about it for like a long time. am like, man, there'll never be a master. This, you're always learning with music. This is like right. an endless maze. So uh, I think that's why I'm so attracted to it.
1: So, do you, do you, uh, how much time do you spend practicing? Well, lately I haven't been
2: practicing at all because I've been making a lot of beats. Mm-hmm. I haven't been, uh, I will be at the end of this month when I go to Dublin um, to play at the end of the month. But lately I've been back in beat mode, just like chopping up stuff. So, um, but when I do practice, I go pretty hard. I mean, you know, getting my sets together and mm-hmm. trying to make everything touch. And I guess I approach it more like a producer when I plan my DJ sets. So yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I think that's interesting. You know, again, if you look at what's happening in DJing today, like so many, so much about it has gotten easier. Very don't much. To carry so. records anymore? And you I know, feel y- like
2: I'm doing it the hard way, Josh. Damn,
1: <laughs> I really do. I always say it on tour. I'm like, damn, I'm lugging
2: all this around, man. Yeah. Like, I'm doing all this. Like, is it paying off? Like, I always have to question. Like, you're constantly questioning yourself. Like, am I working hard or am I working smart? Mm-hmm. Like, which one is it? Like, you know, and sometimes you work hard, sometimes you're working smart, but...
1: Well, so, but you could look at working smart as... Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of DJs that are just... You just kind of press play. The equipment's not really...
2: Yeah, Ableton, to ...doing huh?
1: anything. Like, you're not really doing anything on stage. You're just kind of letting... The machinery do it for you
2: yeah i watched that um that interview with uh i forgot his name uh, benihana's son um mm-hmm. uh, steve aoki. aoki on uh with uh, with uh katie couric or whatever mm-hmm. and i saw like he, he he like broke down how he dj's and i was like that's interesting wow so he has time to like you know do his hands and all that and dance or whatever i'm like right. that's interesting like i just wouldn't you know i'm not i'm not dissing it by any means like uh, my thing is like if you found an avenue and you and you're you're blowing up man hats off to you you deserve every penny but i just I just was like wow this is a completely different approach to what i do i'm always like busy you know yeah. like working on something you know and then yeah. you know the crowd could the, could look at that like well he's not paying attention to us or they could be like damn he's murdering mm-hmm. so it's it just it's just perspective i guess you know
1: is that the same crowd or or probably not different audiences for Well
2: different... no, actually it kind of is. Like yeah. it's it's funny, man, because like when you go to a fest like if I play a festival like it's everybody's there. They they might they might know me and they might know Steve Aoki, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So like it's it's the same crowd. That's the funny thing about it, man. Like people just want to show up and be entertained at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know? So that's just the key, you know. Like if I'm if I get like one or two people saying, "Hey man, I that that, that was entertaining, I was like, okay, I'm on some sort of path, at least I got, you know, because you and I have both seen lines wrapped around the block for some of the worst groups in the world, sure. so I'm just like, yeah. I keep telling myself, well, like, if I could just find my audience, you know, that's, I'm all good, you know, and, and it's, been, it's been good so far, I've, I've had, like, really, really cool people come up to me, and great people on my site and everything, and uh, I just try to keep doing something different and put out different projects and different routines and just try, to, try to stay uh, busy.
1: Well, we were talking about that earlier, right? Like, like you can't really predict what's yeah. gonna blow up, what's not, you know? Yeah,
2: man. I, when I, well, yeah. I there's only one time where I knew someone was gonna be big, and it, and it, and I, I always talk about it was the Kanye West. Like, this uh-huh. when I was at a, I used to work at a small record label called Correct Records mm-hmm. here in L.A. And um, the label had Cool Fash, who was from the Beat Nuts, mm-hmm. um, and who changed his name to Al Tariq. Um, and, uh, David Banner, uh, from, but the group he was in on, correct, was Crooked Letter. Oh, yeah. And, um, then I signed an artist, this was in the early 90s, 96. I signed an artist named, uh, Grav out of Chicago, who worked with, uh, a bunch of producers out of Chicago, but, like, he, he did one beat with Kanye West, which was, uh, this ended up being Kanye West's debut Mm. on this label and um and you saw it then. i was like man finish the rest of the album with him right? and he did yeah. he, he did like six songs with kanye or seven maybe i don't, I, don't know. I gotta look at that album so that was kanye's debut and i was like yo we gotta sign this kid like we gotta sign him and they they're like oh, i don't know and then the then the label um had some cutbacks and then label diffused mm-hmm. was was gone after that so um yeah. And I was just like, and then I just saw his career take off after that. I'm like, damn, this is crazy. Like he's on like a billboard with Madonna and mm-hmm. I'm driving to the airport looking at it. <laughs> a billboard of Kanye and Madonna. I'm like, this is just wild. So yeah. that was like really the only artist I've ever seen. I was like, yeah, he's going to, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And he had the confidence then when I was in the studio because sure. I would be in some of the studio sessions in New York and he had a lot of confidence back then, a lot. And I like, it's not, people can't say Kanye's changed. He hasn't. He's, he's always been this confident. Right. That I saw from the beginning, and he deserves it. He deserves every bit of it.
1: He's extremely talented. Was there, I'm sure there are folks you thought you were sure were gonna blow up, and the yeah, didn't? Yeah,
2: a lot of them. A lot of them. Grav included, the, yeah. the, the artists that I signed. Yeah. Um, a lot of artists growing up that I saw like that were on 12 inches that we used to get in. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this kid is, he could spit, man. This kid's gonna go far. This, And it just, um, what I learned over time is it, like, well, especially now, you know, in the 90s it was like the skills to pay the bills. Now mm-hmm. it's like, it doesn't have anything to do really with skill. It's like, you know, it's more like, you know, shock value and, mm-hmm. and, and beauty. And um, yeah, talk about that. Might I be heard the you. pills to pay the bills down too. I don't okay. know. With the whole drug thing and the Molly and all that. Um, but uh, no, I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, well, you it's said, interesting. you
1: said, I think it was DJ Times. Mm. You said that you didn't think Stevie Wonder would probably get signed today. I don't think so.
2: I don't think so. I think I think I think they're they're really interested in pop artists right now. Not that Stevie didn't go pop because he did, but I'm just saying they're also very very um, uh, consumed with how people look in mm-hmm. their image right now, which is unfortunate because like James Joplin, like you know, she just yeah. get up and do her thing, you know, yeah. and she'd make you feel her, you know. But they're not. They're they're looking at the full package right now, and when I mean full package, I don't mean full package musically. I mean mm-hmm. full package as visual candy, and then eh, if the music's good, we can we can we can make it work in these channels as long right. as it fits in the Power One Hundred Six box or the you know K Rock box or wherever mm-hmm. it's going to go, Clear Channel whatever. whatever, um, you know. But it's just you know that's that's not a negative thing. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying that it's, it's just different, mm-hmm. you know.
1: So. Where, are there people that influence you that that mm-hmm. are not um you know that are in that group they're not famous they didn't they didn't maybe have the full package
2: oh i imagine there's a lot if i like would sit and think about 12 inches but i mean you know one of the first real big influences for me as a like a as a producer was molly maul mm-hmm. um he put out a song called he cut so fresh and i was like listening to. the drum programming on that i was like this guy is out of here he's incredible and of course he had the bridge and all that before but when when i heard he cut so fresh i was like this is just so raw and like molly you know didn't become like a superstar but he's very well known obviously Mm -hmm. in the you know hip-hop circles or whatever and a lot of debate as to what he produced and what he didn't but I could tell his sound, you know. Yeah. You could tell someone's drum programming and their feel in their pocket. So there's a lot of Molly Malls in my <laughs> sure. in my in my crates for sure. No, th- I think most of my influences were cats like cats like that. Yeah. Cats that have raw production and you know, you know, it, w- whether it be RZA all the way down to you know Prince Paul, you know, mm-hmm. whatever whatever it is, you know, whoever it is. But no, a lot of them is like that because I c- I, I can hear uh, artistic integrity, you know.
1: Well, that's one of the dangers. I know we're, we're not going to be negative on this show, but, but I think that's one of the dangers of where music's at right now is mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we talk about hip-hop. You know, hip-hop needs those, those influencers. You know, we, we need the Cool G Raps to inspire the Biggie Smalls, right?
2: Yeah, it's just no. balance, you know. That's how I look at it. Like, that's what I liked about uh, the, the era that I grew up in it was a lot of balance. Like, mm-hmm. you definitely had pop artists like sure. you had Prince yeah. you know Prince was there but then right next to Prince there was the movie you know Beat Street mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and, mm-hmm. then, and then from Beat Street you had you know Soul Sonic Force and you had all these all these things that were connected and um, you knew what Michael Jackson was you knew what Prince was uh, but he also knew who the fat boys were you know what I'm saying which I, I really like that that's I, I love you know I love diversity mm-hmm. you know I don't like hanging out in one neighborhood where it's just you know, all white people or all black people or all Latins. I like, I like diversity. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I like that in my music. I like that in my food. My girlfriend can attest to that. Well, one day we'll have sushi, next day we're going to have in Guatemalan food. Like, yeah. I like diversity. I like yeah. mixing it up. In the same and way. Same thing with music. It has to be, you know, right now I'm on a big, you know, Middle Eastern kick where I love Middle Eastern music, you know, like funky Middle Eastern like Turkish music, you know Really? But last year I was, you know, listening to more Ethiopian and I'm listening to Ethiopian now, but I like Mm -hmm. It just, it changes from year to year, you know what I mean? And it's like, it just keeps you alive, you know, and I just, I just Wish the pop landscape or, you know, yeah, the pop landscape had a little bit more diversity, that's Mm -hmm. it
1: Sure What you just said something that I want to build on. Oh, uh, do you remember your introduction to hip-hop?
2: Yeah, um, when I was in my jazz band in, in, um, in junior high, I was, uh, my best friend played bass and I played drums. And um, we'd walk to his house every day after school and practice our break dancing moves in his living room. <laughs> mm-hmm. and his uncle lived with him and he would make these mixtapes for us he, he was a DJ and make, he'd go to New York every few months come back with records that we never heard there was this cool little slice of time in the 80s where we would get records 4 months, 5 months, 6 months down line later than New York right. pre-internet obviously yeah. and so that was a really exciting time he's like oh he went to New York what did he bring back so that we looked forward to what he would bring back so one day I watched him DJ and I was like that's it. Like I I can't like I can't look at playing drums and mimicking like John Bonham's break mm-hmm. from Led Zeppelin. The same like I can't I, I can't look at it the same. So like I had to get a drum machine to find out what the boom was all about in the 808 and I had to get turntables to figure out how he was repeating the duck 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 off of Malcolm McLaren like I had to figure it out cuz it was it was like literally driving me crazy as a 13-year-old kid. Like I I couldn't take it anymore. My mom yeah. was going to lose her mind with me asking questions and can you take me here can you take me there can you drop me off at this utfo concert in anaheim Mm -hmm. you know my best friend and she my mom was the best she was like so supportive of that god bless her um
1: was that your first hip-hop show
2: yeah utfo with uh, it was utfo egyptian lover sir mixed a lot when he had square dance rap Mm -hmm. Uh, somebody else was on that bill um uh, i forget who and of course utfo was Mm -hmm. the headliner Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so my introduction was really hearing my best friend's cousin um, playing Buffalo Gals and um, Roxanne, Roxanne was the first record I bought yeah. from UTFO. It might have been that, he was playing it. I know he was playing all that stuff at that time, but that was like, it got me, like that's it. I bought a pair of beat up servo turntables that were mm-hmm. belt driven, like not even, like, not even, Technique, not even Technique 1200. Like. Sure. So then I started doing house parts. Yeah.
1: So at 13, uh, you know, you, you're putting in all this time. Yeah. Most kids are out, you know, riding skateboards or chasing girls or I was home on whatever. the weekends. I was home yeah. every
2: weekend. My mom was like, well, you know, cause my mom was always like, you could do whatever you want. Just don't do drugs. That's how my mom was. My mm-hmm. mom's like really like hands off approach to parenting. Yeah.
1: What do you think? Uh, what do you think you sacrificed to get to, to this point?
2: Everything, yeah. man. Uh, a lot of things, a lot of things um well <laughs> um my schooling for mm-hmm. sure, um, a lot of girlfriends for mm-hmm. sure um, I guess like outward appearance at a young age, like I didn 't care the way I looked, and like the what i I used to drive this this uh Volkswagen diesel jetta. I was beat up, you know, sure. but I would have big Sermon Vegas in the back of it. <laughs> like, you know, it was just, I was just a quirky dude just trying to, I just wanted, all I cared about was music, really, yeah. you know, um, and yeah, you know, food, you know, there's an old saying that, uh, it, well, that cut came up with, is like, either you eat or you dig, you don't do both, like, mm-hmm. you, either you're, you're digging the whole day or you're eating, mm-hmm. you, know, you can't, you can't, ha- you can't eat while you're digging, you just, we're off to the next spot, let's go, and it's true, it's just like. So food, nutrition, <laughs> keeping up with my physique, all that, everything.
1: Yeah. That's the price though, right? Yeah,
2: I love it. Now it's all more about balance. Like, you know, as you get older, you're like, okay, I got to balance. I got to spend some time with my lady. I got to, you know, mm-hmm. I got to try to eat right sometimes. I got to try to, you know, walk the dog at least for an hour every day, you know, something, you know. But uh, back then you're just like scrambling to figure it out because it was like a rat race, you know.
1: You know, I talked to a guy once who's an uh, older guy. He was, he's like a top five violinist in the world. Oh, wow. A like classical violinist. Wow. And I, and I asked him about practice. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, he's in his 60s. He said practices four hours every day. Yeah. And and I asked him, you know, what do you do for four hours? Like, don't you know yeah. everything right. already? And he kind of said, you know, a lot of it's just keeping, he said it's like pulling up weeds. Mm-hmm. It's like keeping the bad habits from creeping in. Mm-hmm. That's a good analogy right
2: there. Yeah. I know when I'm, like, scratching or practicing cuts, there's a lot of bad habits that come into play. It's like, why would I do that? Like, I, that sounded so whack. And you just you try to get them out. That's true. Mm.
1: They are like weeds. Yeah. That's interesting. So I got to talk to you something about very serious. Okay. Uh, being a white guy in hip-hop. Yeah. <laughs> who did you get mistaken for?
2: Oh um well you know it was a really big thing in the 80s man like when i would dj house parties uh-huh. it, later on it didn't become such a big thing but in the 80s it was like yo all the right. white boys getting on mm-hmm. pre-beard uh-huh. i think i had a goatee at the, at the end of it all but um or, but um,
0: we that was a big
2: thing that yeah. was like a big big thing but it later on you know it, like now it doesn't mean people right. don't even give a shit but yeah. um um who did i get mistaken for Um, it's not really anybody. At one point someone said MCA,
1: but I, but,
2: um, I didn't get a whole lot of mistaken for us,
1: man. Okay. I got, uh, so I got Rob one. Oh yeah. You do have some, you got some resemblance to Rob. But here's the thing. So Rob was a, was a legendary DJ. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Rob. But he had like, his hair was down halfway down his back. My hair was always short. Right. And people would come up like they knew. Me like they knew Rob really well, and I'm like, don't you notice? Yeah, his hair. And then Truly Odd, I used to always get Truly Odd. Okay, I can kind of see that. And that's when your eyes are a little bit more
2: broken, though. The Truly Odd one. Probably.
1: Yeah, Rob, I can kind of see. So Truly Odd, we wait. I was in Miami at uh, How Can I Be Down. Yeah. And uh, I think it was Teddy Ted. Right. It was was, (laughs) is like yelling. Truly, I. like from across the room. Oh, shit. Like so excited to see Truly, I. He
2: hadn't seen him in a bit. I imagine. And, like he
1: would not. And I and I was like, oh, I'm not gonna look up. Like I'm just not. I don't oh, feel like man. having this because that's terrible. He obviously knew Truly, I so well that he was excited to see him. But it just, happens.
2: Yeah i mistake people all the time. i just
1: thought it was funny yeah especially uh, yeah, if you
2: haven't it. seen it in a minute you're like oh it's yeah what's up man i talk to people all the time and i'm like yo what's i haven't seen you in a long time how's brazil brazil you know <laughs> right i'm not from no brazil yeah that's funny never even been to sao paulo right um no it happens yeah but no, i don't really i didn't get a lot of that man I, I get a lot of people i know you from somewhere but i don't know where you know mm-hmm. i get a lot of that but i don't mm-hmm. get um sure that's I don't get like, yo, what's up, Everlast, right. <laughs> like or, I don't get that, like I, I just don't, but, yeah, a lot of people are like, well, what are you, what do what you mix with, Whatever. Is that right? Um, I'm, are you I'm, from L.A.? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm from L.A., my family's Persian. Okay. And my, my dad's side's white, and uh. Czech and Polish on his side, and my mom's Persian, so, Mm-mm. people kind of can't figure me out. Sure. Um, yeah.
1: That's funny. Truly odd, huh? Yeah, I yeah. didn't really see it. But you know, nah, we're about s- see similar see build and yeah. hair you know, like color. Yeah. It's about the same. Nah. I didn't really see it. Um, oh, I got a we got a, a Twitter question. Okay. These uh, are usually very interesting. Yeah, this is from a guy named Shark Feichel. And the question it's is already good. Exactly. Question is, uh how did was golden come together?
2: Oh, um, that's actually my favorite song that we that we created. Uh, okay, so that's actually my favorite album. Mm. J- Usually, you know, you have your first album that everyone likes, and then the second one, everyone's like, "That's it's garbage, whatever." <laughs> right. But uh, that album was when I was like, I came into my own as a producer, uh, which is part of how it came together. Because the first album, we had a lot of like breaks. You know, we were still high off of the finding breaks thing you know and, mm-hmm. and finding loops really and so the, the next one i was like man we need to introduce a little bit more low end into it and like it needs to hit harder like um there was some criticisms that i didn't like and that just weren't me because i like to chop things um so i remember hearing a lot of criticisms and reading a few reviews which at that time was the last set of reviews i ever read i haven't read reviews since like late 90s yeah so, good for you um so I was like okay I took some of it with a grain of salt but then I, I just really went hard on beats and um I had a one part of it chopped up and the guys heard it and they're like what the hell is that and I was like man I think we could work this man it just has to be the right hook and the guys just started like not making sense over the the beat like just kind of like you know just kind of mumbling you know you know and, oh, da da what golden you know they're just kind of saying things, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. I, I heard gold and i'm like oh what what's that all about? I'm like yeah, let's, let's, that'd be kind of cool, and then it just slowly shaped into the hook, and then the verses came together, you know the way they always do with j five just, just one guy just writes something down and it triggers the next guy to write something. Uh, they very much played off of each other, like whatever the last guy said kind of So thing.
1: everybody's writing together. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. J5, typically everyone wrote together, depending on the mood, right. <laughs> depending on sure. how much touring we've done yeah. before the recording session too. Right, uh, I'm sure. You
1: because... Know, too much time in the bus.
2: Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I call it jail on wheels. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it just depends on how much, you know, of the rock star dream we're living on the road. Uh-huh. But, um. That particular moment was... That particular song was um, um, birthed out of my studio, uh, which was a house I had just bought, and everyone was rushing me to fix up the house because the house was a complete... It was like the missing tooth of the block. It was like mm-hmm. this house was terrible, man. And I did so much to it, like including building a two-car garage studio inside of the house. So they were like, come on, we got to record the new album. Come on, new, you're almost done. Because we were transitioning from working at Cuts house cuts mom's house into moving into my own mm-hmm. house so i was rushing to finish it so i knew my speakers once i got everything up i'm like oh that's how it's supposed to sound because you know i don't know if you ever like mixed down anything in, in studios but you go there and you come home with it right. and you're yeah. like damn it sounds whack on my speakers it's muddy as hell where's the high at? Yeah. everything's well i gotta turn this up what's and you just get all super you know pissed off and you got to go back to the studio mm-hmm. do a recall back in the days of the boards all that so now I have my own studio. I have my own you know, uh, 1688 or whatever I was using back then. And I was like, oh, so if I put on this Dre record right now and listen to these speakers and then right. compare it to my mix, I'll really know right here. It gives you and a reference. And that helped me. That's when I was like, OK, Power and Numbers album was gold and I fell into my own as a producer. I'm like, yeah. for me, I, I know I need my own studio because I, I need a reference. Mm-hmm. At other studios I really couldn't reference because I didn't understand their speakers. Even if I brought, brought Dre's record over there or like a DJ Quick record that was EQ'd right, mm-hmm. I still couldn't I still I was like, yeah, his is shinier, but I don't understand these speakers still. Like right. I don't understand like how much so it got technical, you yeah. know. Yeah. And for me I need I need that side, you know, I wanted to, to hit right and what's going Check on. Check it out now. I work the pen to make
0: the ink transform on any particular surface the pen lands on. That care hands on. what the beef, the coolie coaches hypostate play i drape on poetic landscapes and shapes illustrate the paper space of the pens that paint the design what happened national geographic magic what tailor may status and plus play that's on the land and on we take it back to the day that's
1: cool. glorious so you've done a good job with your your website your social media feels like feels like you're pretty connected with fans that way I'm Trying. yeah shrine
2: it's hard, man. This is like a new era, right? It's yeah. like you got to always like um, people today want more like, you know, right. they want to they want to interaction with their artists. They want a personalization with the artists. Whereas back in the days, like I'm walking off stage. I'm not signing an autograph. I'll see you guys in four years when the new album's done. Right. You know, that's how that's how all artists used to do it. Sure. Like they piece out and we'll be like, oh, my yeah. God, he's so mysterious now it's like what the hell is mystery people don't care about no mystery now they want to they want to like they want to go on a date with the artist you know sit on his lap yeah suck on his neck and shit like it's just ridiculous like but it's dope in a way because like if you looked at going back to day like kickstarters like one of the packages is macy will dj with you guys and like another one is like go toy shopping with dave like that's what people want they want a human experience and um, they want that and they want bundles so if you're selling an album they don't care about that 99 cent download they want mm. they want the album bundled with a usb stick bundled with a t-shirt they want that's one tier 29 dollars, another like,
1: tier like this one yeah yeah the, the flash drive cartridge
2: yeah dj needle yeah, cartridge so. um so yeah I, the people want to they want something tangible they can feel touch whatever yeah. um yeah
1: well it's funny that was the argument that the labels made when downloading first started happening is like yeah. people want a package and it's true but they didn't necessarily want that jewel package of a cd
2: i remember seeing that firsthand when we were at interscope because yeah. they were freaking out um this was right around the time once golden came out actually mm-hmm. and, and you know homie from metallica the drummer was fighting mm-hmm. it you know yeah, and everybody yeah. it was just like a, and i was like man i was watching it and i couldn't figure out like which way which which you know side of the fence i wanted to stand behind i'm like damn yeah. but what ended up happening is them uh, dismantling Napster just ended up shattering into millions of little Napsters. Yeah. And, you know, they were just sticking to that old music m- model, and it just didn't work, man. It's a really interesting, man. we yeah. see where it's at now. You know, it was a very defining point in music history.
1: So how does that change your process? I mean, it sounds mm. like, you know... You've Drasticity. been in the studio since you're 13, practicing, and, and really focused internally.
2: It's, it's a little, it gets a little depressing, I can't even front, because, like, when I'm making a beat, like, even, I'm like, okay, who's this beat gonna go to? Okay. You know, like I'm trying to figure out, like, what's the cadence of the rhyme over it? Like, what's a, you know, I'm a producer, like, I don't like making just beats, I like to produce, like, I like, mm-hmm. like, when me and Slim Kid Trey, like, he started writing some of his stuff from Portland, because that's where he lives, mm-hmm. and sending it over, I'm like, man i just can't feel it like i just can't this ain't this the cyberspace recording thing ain't it ain't me like yeah. i can't even yeah. like
1: it ain't me it does the, the suit don't fit like so right cuz like, you, you don't have to even see each other you can just transfer files yeah. back yeah well and
2: forth. i'm like i'm like you know it needs to go da 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 like i'm like i'm that dude like i need it, the cadence mm-hmm. needs to be different on you know the pocket needs to be different on the rhyme and the hook should be more spread out i'm that guy mm-hmm. so he had to fly in for it so like to answer your question like yeah it's 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 made it it's made it difficult because you don't know where things are going to live like and you don't right. know how you're going to sell them till like almost like you see the whole thing in front of you and You're like okay i really need to just divide up all 10 of these songs like which is what i did with broken sunlight hence the title broken sunlight just broke everything up like okay that's a 10 inch right there that's two songs aloe black and charles bradley boom done you know okay but that's quantic that's that latin shit okay boom done you know that's Bumpy Knuckles and Large Professor, that's that New York banger shit. Okay. And you just start going. At one point, you go, okay, this is what the project needs. Right. But it's difficult. With
1: with Broken Sunlight, were you just sending tracks out and then you're getting finished vocals back?
2: um, It was both. Some were recorded in my studio. um, Okay. You can see actually a lot of the process of that on my, um, on my YouTube channel, on DJ Newmark's YouTube channel. You can oh, cool. see uh, some of the recording experiences, like uh, large pro recording vocals in my studio um, playing beats for him. And him nodding or going, no, not that, that one, this one, you know, like, I like that. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, his head is over here. Like, I tried to get Diamond D on the Broken Sunlight album, but he was like, no, I want something harder. I'm like, and what I gave him, I thought was perfect Diamond D, like mm-hmm. DITC stuff, but he wanted some raw shit. So when I recorded with Slim Kid Trey, I gave him the king beat, which is really, you know, raw. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, to answer your question, though, I mean, it's, yeah, it makes it difficult to see where things are going to live. Because back in the day, you would just record an album and go, here you go, label. Right. You know, like, you didn't have to think. Now you got to be the A&R, the head of video photography, the fucking, you know, uh, artist babysitter, the yeah. engineer. The mix down, the mastering engineer, you know, yeah. uh the fucking uh come up with the concept for the video, mm-hmm. uh the social media expert, the fucking you gotta be everything. You gotta, you know, just putting on hats all day. Like, here we go, what's the what's the hat? Here we go, right. chef. You know, and it's just like
1: sure. <laughs>
2: you know, it's like it's it's yeah. it's like the real the real cats are surviving. Like the cats that are supposed to be here are here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and I don't mean, you know, the cats are just putting stuff on the internet. I mean the cats are like actually Around creating music that people are still kind of talking about, or you know, yeah, those people really deserve to be here. Mm -hmm. As as much as the one-hit wonder dudes that are just surfacing now, they all need, they all deserve to be here. There's room for all of us. There's not this. I don't like when people go, "Oh, that dude's whack. He just had you know, you know, what's this? You know, what's this? You know, what's this dance he got hype off? People Mm -hmm. got hype off of, or you know, what's this one-hit wonder? Not. They're supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. It's all checks and balances. That's like this. It's just balance, you know? It's just balance. Like, that leaves room for you to do this. So, right. Everybody's crammed up on this part of the painting, like, trying to do electronic fucking... Oh, and there's all this room on the canvas. Go over here, motherfucker. Just like, make some shit right. over here. Like, it was crammed in this little box, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So, no, like, it's, there's room for all of us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think that, you know, one-hit wonders are, it's an interesting... I don't want to call it a phenomenon, because I feel like that's actually the norm. Yeah. Right, that if you get a hit you're not necessarily more likely to get another one. And in some ways... It's hard to get
2: another one unless you come out with that first one like that. Yeah. Like that, that Korean dude, I forgot his name, Cy? Oh, Cy. Yeah. 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 Like that dude came out like guns blazing with that. It's like you know. one of the
1: biggest records yeah. ever.
2: I remember going to Korea when that happened. Is I was that like, right? sh- billboards of him and yeah. like, shit, I remember seeing Korean billboards here mm-hmm. in, in our town mm-hmm. But, um, man, it's, a hard, it's hard to follow up. Sure. And And it's hard for people to take you seriously too when it just comes out like that too. So it's... You know, yeah. everything
1: has its place. Yeah, yeah. Well, what was it you said before the interview that, about your your first record? The first, my you first You said record. you have your whole life to make your first record. Yeah, you got your
2: whole whole life to make that first record and just a few months to make that second, yeah. you
1: know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a it's totally tough. different experience. It's tough.
2: It depends how, like, in, engaged you are, too, because those, those three months you have to make your second might be the most powerful months, man. Mm-hmm. I've, I've come up with shit in eight hours before I couldn't believe I did, mm-hmm. you know? and then, then again I've sat yesterday perfect example I sat the whole day making a beat this shit was whack and it's just like okay that's yeah. cool I'm getting back in the groove of things like I know where not to go and like this is an old pattern I'm, I'm following right here I
1: need to switch it
2: up you know mm-hmm. it's just um, you know not taking it too seriously and just have fun creating kind of thing you know sure
1: yeah so what about uh, new cats mm-hmm. that you're checking for
2: uh, yeah I like I like a few people um, this kid Anderson Pack I like mm-hmm. him. He has a good spit, man. He, he can he has a lot of energy. Okay. Um, I work with Taron and Aomari on my album. I like them. I haven't heard their new album, although uh, Tehran just sent me his new album. Um, I need to peep it, um, but I like his spit too. He has a good his his voice fits and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, DJs I like um, this kid Four Color Zach. Yeah. You know yeah, he's sick. R- Red Bull yeah. champion killer. Um, really creative behind the turntables, r- like recreating songs and chopping up things um i like nipsey's hustle literally uh-huh. i like his hustle that yeah. whole i'm selling my album for how did he do it again he did like a hundred dollars for his album or some shit or a hundred dollars for his mixtape or Is sold them all I yeah really? he, dude smashed it like really? jay-z bought 100 like i'm like okay dude you're killing it dude. <laughs> that's what i'm talking about like right. do something different like have fun yeah. with it like i love that i love seeing like new artists just come up with innovative ways to market themselves as well as creating a studio, man. It's so important because, like, mm-hmm. you know, we used to say it like as a cliche, like in the 90s, like, oh, it's 90% business and 10% artist, right. artistry. Right. Now it's really like that. Like, now it's really like
1: that. Well, like, I think there's a difference if you're saying that as a complaint yeah. versus that's the reality and and you got to adapt yeah. to it, right?
2: Yeah, it's just a lot to do after you finish the art. Like, you can create some of the illest shit ever right now. and sure. It's like, it can just get lost. Like, and that, that part, I think, is the only part that I really feel pressure. So, it's like, damn, I created something really good, man. I really stand behind it, you know. And then you know, like, when you play it for your close, Because your closest friends always front on you. Of course. They never say, yo, man, Josh, you murdered that shit. Right. They, your closest friends never do that is It's that always good? like... No, nah, that means they love you, man. That's what's, <laughs> right. what's up. You know, yeah. like, like, I know, like, my best friend, Imani, like, like, this last album I did with, with Trey, he was like, man. And, like, it meant a lot coming from him that he liked it. Mm-hmm. But it's one thing when a fan comes up, you know, like a J5 fan or a Newmark fan or whatever comes up, you're like, oh, cool, thanks. You know, mm-hmm. I appreciate you coming up to me. I'm not saying it doesn't mean as much, but right. when you... When it comes from your homie, like the people you grew up with that sure. watched all the steps, you—they're gonna yeah. be hard on you. They're gonna be like, "Yeah, it's alright, it's alright. Yeah, it'd be alright. Yeah, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could—that set could have been better." And I've been told that millions of times by my friends. Yeah, like, "Yeah, that set was good. It was okay," you know. But when you do something good, you're like, "Ah, okay, I connected. Like, that's what's up," you know.
1: Are you, uh, are you, so hard on yourself? Or yes. Are you able to enjoy? You don't it? have to
2: finish the rest of the question. Yes, I am. All the way
1: down. But do you ever come off stage going like, <laughs> yeah. That, like, yeah, that's what I wanted to do up there?
2: Not as much as I should be. Not mm. as much as I should be. No. No. Not really. Because there's always like a part where, I, where something fell down. The audience might not have heard it, but mm-hmm. I, I was like, nope. Because I'm a producer. Mm-hmm. I like things funneled to a pinpoint. Right. Sharp. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like like I would when I record. But when you're live, you don't have that luxury. So you have to get on that first take. Right. And when you fuck up, you got to keep moving and catch up to your mistake. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, there hasn't been, you know, it's not like I flub it up so bad that I'm just like, fuck, walking off stage crying or nothing (laughs) like that. But it's like, you know, like, damn, that part, I could have been... Yeah. A little bit louder. That part could have been a little bit lower. That part could have been cut a little bit sharper. That you know, just little little stupid things that only a producer would have in his head when he yeah, walks yeah. off. You know.
1: Sure. And do you do that with other people, or do you go? Yeah. So, well. So uh, what have you seen? What's what's the best DJ set you've ever seen?
2: Oh, oh, you mean when I'm watching a show, yeah, like yeah. oh, oh. Yeah. um, the best DJ set I've ever seen.
1: Yeah. Oh God, man. Or favorite DJ.
2: Um, I really wa- like watching DJ Scratch. Mm-hmm. He's always he always comes up with something innovative. Um, his confidence shines through his 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 turntablism for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Kubert. You mm-hmm. know, I love my man J Rock. I think we're kind of cut from the same cloth, just the way we approach funk. Yeah, and our appreciation for James. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, Zach, like we talked about, Four Color Zach. I think he really executes really clean. Uh, Jazzy Jeff, pretty much every time I've heard him, mm-hmm. he's just like, just, I just, it looks effortless for him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some people, it just looks like they didn't, they didn't need to practice. Right. They didn't need that four hour violin practice. They just right. was like, oh, get up, have some Wheaties up. Uh, what the fuck was that? You know, there's some cats that are just ill. Yeah. Like, you know, um, the first DJ that got me really, really into like being, a, a battle dj or whatever early on was aladdin and mm-hmm. he was one of those kind of cats where i'd watch For him sure. in seminar tapes and just like this dude is like the funkiest like yeah. him and steve d like on the yeah. east coast steve d west coast aladdin i was like this is like revolutionizing djing like if you're not funky after this you're kind of fucked. like yeah. if you're up there dj mick stifferson like doing some whack shit it's over like <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. these kids were doing really really innovative things on turntables
1: man aladdin played my first show i ever did really 93 damn at glam slam smashed Murdered it day. yeah he's Murdered. ridiculous
2: yeah he's ridiculous um so yeah he's he's probably my biggest dj influence
1: for sure that's dope that's dope cool man that's all i got thank you for doing this
2: it's a pleasure thank you for having thanks me thanks for being Josh. here yeah I mean, good seeing DJ you again, Newmark.
1: Too. check him out online Check out Broken Sunlight. Yeah. Watch new, for the new. What's do we have? a, is there a title? It's going to
2: be uh, the Slim Kid and Newmark project is going to be called Trademark. Um, so cool. hopefully we'll have an album in October or something like that. Nice. So we're just working away at it and um, yeah, man. Dope. Yeah, J Five will be on tour. We'll to be on tour as
1: well. For me, Josh. We'll be there.
0: My man. Right on. Yeah. Pass the ball, final casting call First of all, verbal basketball Off the glass, smash your jaw, too fast for y'all You might take a nasty ball Trying to stick with the prehistoric passenger All rep, no physical contact Bounce back, demonstrate Invisible bomb raps Not no hustler, no player, or speaking no crime crap I'm vocally trying to score before my time lapse Uh, Full court press, Uh, hands in your chest Running cause I'm a rebel with the ghetto connects No fouls, just checks